Hello, and welcome to episode two of this mini-series, Pivoting in Your STEM Career. My name is Helen, and I'm the outreach coordinator here at WISIS, and I use she, her pronouns. I've got a really great guest here with me today, but before we jump in, um, I want to start us off in a good way by acknowledging the land we are hosting this episode from. So the University of Alberta is situated on Treaty 6 land in Amiskwitsi, Wisconsin, also known as Edmonton. This is the very land that was taken from Indigenous communities to benefit colonizers and now settlers. So in a small but intentional way, I do want to acknowledge the displacement of Indigenous communities from this land, especially the tragic loss of thousands of children in residential schools. I want this to motivate us to do better, to truly honor those that have cared for this land and those that have undoubtedly allowed us to thrive. I encourage everyone to familiarize yourselves with the 94 calls to action laid out in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and to find ways in which you can commit to bringing forth those actions. So to the Cree, Blackfoot, Métis, Nakota Sioux, Iroquois, Dene, Ojibwe, Soto, Anishinaabe, and many others whose histories, languages, and cultures continue to influence our vibrant community, we give thanks for this opportunity to do better. Dialing back the time I remember being in high school and constantly being asked by friends, family, family friends, and teachers about what it is that I want to do when I graduate from high school. I kept getting questions like, where are you going for university? What program are you applying to? What do you want to be? And the truth is, in high school, the realm of possibilities feel daunting, more so than when you were five, where a teacher, astronaut, doctor, and maybe even YouTuber seemed to be the only careers out there in the world. I vividly remember feeling anxious that if I didn't choose the right career or pathway, that I'd be doomed forever. Now, having graduated from high school, completed my undergrad and my master's degree, I'm realizing the possibilities are even more plentiful than when I was in high school, and that it's okay to pivot when you realize the career you thought you wanted to do isn't exactly what you envisioned it to be. Or maybe life circumstances change and you're forced to make some tough decisions about your career trajectory. I know that's definitely what happened to me and many others out there. And so in this mini series, I wanna dive into what it's like to pivot in your career. We'll be hearing from a few guests about their experience of pivoting in their STEM career. And I wanna just remind everyone, STEM stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. Now, last episode, we chatted with Brittany Conradi on how certain life circumstances led her to multiple pivots between academia and industry, and ultimately how she found her place in STEM as a um, environmental consultant. For this episode, we've got a really exciting guest, Dr. Cassandra Donatelli, who will be sharing about her pivots. She received her Bachelor of Science from the University of Rochester, New York State in Engineering, and then she went to Tufts University in the state of Massachusetts and received her PhD in Biology studying fish biomechanics. Currently, she's a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Ottawa, which I'm sure she'll talk a little bit more about in just a moment. Actually, her story about her pivot that planted the seed in my brain to create this mini-series and the importance of hearing these stories, you know, stories of people changing course and ultimately finding their place in STEM. I believe this is our first American guest on the show, and so you can say we're going international. <laughs> So without further ado, welcome Dr. Cassandra Donatelli. 
Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're super excited. So maybe let's get started with, if you want to introduce yourself, talk a little bit about your background and and your journey in pursuing STEM. Sure. So I didn't know I was the first American guest. That's very exciting. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I am from actually the the great state of Maine, which is a very small state right next to Canada. So Very close to Canada. Yeah. (laughs) So we get made fun of a lot in the U.S. for just being South Canada, even though most of Maine is north of where most people live in Canada. So I don't know, (laughs) but I think it's a great state. And I grew up in Portland, Maine, which is right on the coast. So right by the ocean. So I feel like my love of fish biology probably started when I was quite young, but yeah, I went to university um, at the university of Rochester and I, I mean, I I almost did a sort of a pivot early on because like you mentioned before in high school, you're thinking you know what you want to do, but there's so many things that you learn uh, later on. I started college like many people thinking I was going to be a doctor, like a medical doctor. And I feel like that's not uncommon, (laughs) Um, especially for, I mean, parents who maybe don't have a super strong background in, in academics. My parents weren't super familiar with the college life. So doctor seemed like the thing to do if you liked science. Uh, So that's how I started. And very quickly when I started university, I realized that um, actually I found out that I really don't like chemistry all that much. Um, (laughs) I did quite terribly in my first year chemistry course, but I really liked my physics and math courses, which kind of switched me over to uh, switching from a biology major to an engineering major. Um, And the major that the name of the major, the official, the official name, if you look it up on the University of Rochester website, is Archaeology, Technology, and Historical Structures, which is a very That's long, cool. I yeah. think it's kind of interesting, right? It is. It's a long, drawn-out way of saying, um, I used engineering, structural engineering techniques to study old buildings, basically. Mm-hmm. So that's what I majored in. Um, in university. And I think it was uh, at one point, I think the summer before my uh, last year, as probably many of us would probably end up doing on Google, trying to figure out what can I do with a degree in engineering? I have no idea what I want to do. So I was just (laughs) Googling things I could do with my life because I had no idea at that point what I really wanted to be when I grew up. And I somehow stumbled across the biomechanics uh, Wikipedia page which had cited a bunch of uh, researchers like Andy Buehner at Harvard and Adam Summers at Friday Harbor. Uh, and I thought it was the coolest thing I had ever read. I like never heard of using biomechanics to study animals before. And it was just crazy to me. So I applied for an internship up at Friday Harbor after sending an email to, to Dr. Summers, which was like, hey, I'm an engineering major. I have no idea what I want to do with my life, but this seems cool what do you think? He's like, apply for this internship, just kind of offhand to him, I assume. And it was kind of all downhill from there. I went and I did this internship studying fish backbones and fell in love with the field entirely, like all in. And from Mm -hmm. then on, I knew that's what I wanted to do and switched entirely. I finished my degree and applied for biology PhD programs while getting a degree in not biology. Mm -hmm. Um, Somehow convinced my PhD advisor that it would be worth (laughs) hiring me. Uh, Eric Titel was my PhD advisor, and he thought that my skills seemed useful, and 
here I am. Now I have a degree in fish biomechanics. Yeah. So for our audience who has um, possibly never heard of what biomechanics is as a discipline, do you want to talk a little bit about what fish biomechanics is and what you actually study in that field? Sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, if you Google just biomechanics, you'll probably find a lot of stuff popping up that has to do with humans. Generally, if you look up biomechanics, you're going to learn about things like prosthetics and other things in the health field. It's essentially using engineering and physics tools to design things that help humans. So think about like knee braces, again, prosthetics, things like this, even like heart implants. Um, anything that has to do with a mechanical process in the body that you've designed outside of the body is biomechanics. The field that I'm in specifically, if you want to get technical, is comparative biomechanics, which is looking at animals and not just humans. So I study the physics of how animals work on a bigger level. So not like the molecular physics, but like the physics of their bones and their muscles and their skin. That's really cool. And um, also for anyone who doesn't know, Friday Harbor is out in the West Coast, right outside of Seattle, a ferry ride away in the San Juan Islands, a very, very beautiful spot on the West Coast there. And yeah, that that's really cool. That's actually where the two of us met and uh, where this this began. But can you talk a little bit more about how what you do right now kind of combines the things that you do enjoy about you know, engineering, but also biology. Definitely. Yeah. Again, that's something that I hope that anyone listening can, can learn from this is that you don't just have to pick one very focused thing. Turns out in, in STEM, nothing operates in isolation and everybody from all the different fields works together to solve problems. So if you like more than one very niche thing, that's great. You should combine them because you're going to do better science that way anyway, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what I what I do and how I combine the two is in like structural engineering, you do a lot of work trying to understand the materials you're building with. So you want to know how strong is this steel? How well is this pipe going to resist bending or pressure from the inside? How hard can I pull on this cable before it breaks? All those things are really important. You can imagine when you're building something to know how much force it can take before it explodes or breaks. They developed a lot of different tools to figure that out, uh, usually by actually just pulling on the thing and measuring how long, how much force it takes before it breaks. It turns out you can use a lot of those same techniques when studying animals. So if I want to know uh, how well an animal's skin functions to hold itself, hold its body together when it's bending and twisting through the water. For example, a really squiggly eel bends a lot. And I want to know how much its skin is contributing to holding it together. I can do material testing on its skin. I can take euthanized animal or an animal that is no longer with us, and I can pull on the skin and figure out how much force it takes uh, before it breaks, which tells me how strong the skin is. I could do the same thing with bones and muscle things like that. So understanding just how the different parts of the body function to make the whole structure as a whole work together, Mm -hmm. just like you would do if you were building a bridge or a building. That's very, very cool. Yeah. And I I think your um, little ramble that you said there about the fact that you don't have to be so specialized in, in one thing that you think is the only thing that you can pursue. Part of this series is to illuminate that 
you can choose a few things that you're interested in and combine them into a career. There are so many things out there. You probably, I mean, folks out there listening, especially high school students probably didn't even know being an Instagram influencer was a job that paid, um, but someone decided it was something that they wanted to do and they were passionate about and they made it into a job. So really, if you have these interests in STEM that don't necessarily maybe feel compatible, talk to people, right? And explore, what is it that I can do to combine these two things together or three or four? Moving on into this conversation, um, now that you're at the University of Ottawa as a postdoctoral researcher, what are you um, studying right now? What do you do as a postdoctoral researcher from someone who has a PhD in fish biomechanics? The question, position of a postdoc is kind of a, an interesting one, very specific to like the academic realm. It's kind of the job that you get between getting a PhD and then the next thing. So some people might want to go on to be a, a faculty member at a university. And often you do this postdoctoral fellow position in between to kind of build a little bit more experience. Maybe you didn't get a lot of teaching experience as a graduate student, so you want to do that. Maybe you want to build up your uh, resume some more with research questions. So a postdoc is a good way to like bulk up your, your CV a little bit before you move on to a faculty position if that's what you choose to do. So that's where I am at right now. So here at the University of Ottawa, I am a researcher primarily, and I'm studying fish armor right now, uh, specifically of a fish called Polypterus senegalis, which is a sheer or a biker, depending on how you pronounce it. It's a very interesting little fish. If you Google it, a picture will pop up of this weird, like dinosaur looking thing. It's got really thick scales that act as armor and protect it from you know, puncture or getting hit with rocks if it's out in the terrestrial world because the fish actually squiggles around on land fairly frequently. So my work here is focused on that. And also we're collaborating with a lab in two labs, one in Switzerland and one in uh, Japan, looking at robotics and control. So how we can use animals to inspire designs of robots and control schemes of robots. Wow, that sounds so cool. And it sounds like right up your alley in in really combining, you know, your heavy engineering background there and, and being able to learn from fish and utilize them to create concepts of robots. That is so neat. <laughs> I get a kick out of it. It's a, it's a lot of fun, um, especially really fun to have collaborators um, from such different backgrounds. Yeah. Uh, so like the folks in the, well, the folks in Japan really specialize in um, this neural control scheme and the folks in Switzerland really specialize in like the hardware of the robots. And then our lab specializes in the animals and how they work. So putting all those things together is just really cool. Yeah, that is really neat. Collaborations in academia are fascinating when you have such global partners, um, just as you described there, they bring all different expertise to the table. Moving to our next question, I do want to talk a little bit about, you know, your pivot from that engineering undergrad to a biology-based PhD. What supports did you feel like allowed you to make that pivot? Or was it really just an intrinsic desire? And then you said, I'm going to do this and who cares what other people think? <laughs> or, or did you have a mentor? Or did you have supportive friends and family that, that were, played an important role? 
Um, I definitely, I, I was quite fortunate to have a mentor. I did really want this and I knew that it was a thing that I was going to do, but I would have been very challenging to do alone. And I had mentioned that I did an internship up at Friday Harbor. It's part of the research experience for undergraduates program. I think it's a U.S. based thing through the National Science Foundation. I got that internship and I met my mentor, uh, Dr. Marianne Porter. She's currently in Florida at Florida Atlantic University. And she uh, agreed to basically take on this stray engineering student and <laughs> teach them about biology over the summer. And she was incredibly supportive. From the very beginning, she told me that like, your skills are absolutely valid in biology and you can totally make this work. This is gonna be awesome. People are gonna want to have you in their lab. And through that whole summer, it was always that she was always there supporting me and bringing me coffee when I was up late doing research. Um, we had lots of deep life science talks um, at the various beautiful locations around the island. She encouraged me to look for mentors and apply right there while I was at the labs with her helping me because she knew I was a little bit stressed about sending emails, cold emails to biology professors. Yeah. She introduced me to Eric, who was my PhD advisor, which was awesome. Yeah, I definitely would have struggled a lot without her help. I was quite fortunate to find a mentor who guided me through the whole process. I had no idea how any of that worked. Like no one teaches you how to apply to grad school. No kidding, or, or, right? <laughs> or that grad school is a thing. Like you, it mm -hmm. all, I learned all of that pretty much that summer uh, with her yeah. like guiding me through. That's incredible. When you find someone who is invested in your success, it looks, it sounds like, you know, they bend over backwards to make that happen for you. And for someone to sit down next to you, make sure that, that those emails are being sent or that application is being filled out. That's huge. And, and that builds confidence, I think, in you as an individual to say, hey, if someone believes in me, I should start believing in myself as well. <laughs> Definitely. Um, that's really encouraging to hear. And I hope you'll share this episode with her so that she can know that you she was so pivotal in, in your career. I think she knows. We still collaborate, actually. Oh, like that's we've, great. we've written papers together and she's one of my, like, whenever I need a, a reference letter for something, she's like always got my back. That is so awesome. That experience probably could have gone either way, but she made that such a positive experience for you. So that's awesome. I was lucky that I had her because at the university or I was the, the engineering folks who I was working with did not have any idea what to do with me. Some of them were actually upset that I was switching. And that was, I remember being quite stressful uh, mm -hmm. to have people who were my like mentors in, in undergraduate be upset with me <laughs> for switching fields. So it, it is cr crucial to find someone who is supporting you and like I don't know, email me, I'll help you out. Like find like there's there's a lot of really awesome folks out there who will, will take the time and guide you through these things. Yeah. So if someone's mean to you, just like that's okay. There, there's other people. <laughs> you share, yeah, you share a really good point because sometimes when people themselves don't realize that there's more than one path to take with a specific type of career or interest, it almost puts into question their own choices, right? And and people start to maybe feel insecure about their own choices, or they feel like, oh, you're leaving, you know, our world, which, oh, you're, you're someone else now. You're not part of our group. So I think that's a really good encouraging message is, you know, you got to keep your head up 
And you got to find the right people who will be on your side to help support you through those transitions. Pivoting in your career, as I've talked about in the last um, episode, is uh, is something that's very anxiety ridden. Like it's so stressful, right? Because you're charting a new course for your your um, career. You're going into something you never planned on going into from the beginning. So you have to make sure you have the right people in on your team to, to help propel you forward, to make sure that you are successful moving forward. So I'm glad you were able to find that person and to uh, combat any of, of the, the mean comments or um, <laughs> not negative comments, you know, that you received from other folks. So I'm really glad to hear that. This actually transitions into our next question about fears. So can you think back, reflecting back on your experience of going through this major pivot, did you have any fears, you know, heading into making that decision? Like, hey, you know what? I really think I, I want to go back into biology. Not, I don't want to pursue just, you know, engineering. Um, did you have any fears in, in making that decision? Absolutely. I was terrified. Um, my, I think the thing that sticks out the most is that I ha- didn't think I had the skills um, to, to switch into biology because I hadn't taken any biology classes. Um, I kind of thought that if I wanted to be a biologist, I would have to just go back and do a whole other degree in biology. And I was like, oh my goodness, my life is going to be so delayed. I'm going to have to be in school for another four years trying to get these classes and figure it all out. Um, so it was it was really scary and uh, sending out my like um, CV and transcript to folks I was like they're just gonna tell me I have to take all these classes and I'm I should wait and get a different major before applying to grad school um, and it was encouraging to hear that it's not really the classes you take that are the most important thing it's your experience so if you get research experience in something that you didn't take a class in that's valued more in the world than for courses in a specific topic. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fear was alleviated uh, chatting with um, the folks in my field that they thought that the experience I had would be valuable, even though I may not have the coursework that a traditional biologist would have had. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was very useful to know. Yeah. Yeah. I could only imagine, you know, you're like, okay, I'm going to make this pivot. Oh, wait, I have to do a whole other degree to get myself to that, that point. So yeah, it sounds like you were able to dispel (laughs) any delay that maybe you would have thought that you would experience just by talking to, to folks in the field. So that's really important. Um, I've actually read into students like in similar situations to me who think who've like had the same thought that they want to switch and have just decided themselves to start a new major and, and delay their graduation. I would definitely talk to people you're interested in working with first because they'll tell you you probably don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, maybe it, it could be a very specific skill that you do need a class in, but it's more likely than not that if you talk to the person that you want to work with in the future, that they will be able to tell you that no, you don't probably don't need to take another class. You probably don't need to stay in school for another 10 years and have all these loans pile up. I mean, I don't know. You, in the U.S., we have loans upon loans. Um, but, There's that here too, but it's a little bit more subsidized over here. <laughs> I would say just talk to the person who's, I mean, if, if I guess this is very specific to if you're going into research or kind of the more academic world. But most of the time, if you email a professor or two who you're inter- whose work you're interested in, like they'll respond to you and 
they'll be able to like help you through without making you redo your whole degree. Right. Um, yeah. And yeah. some people might decide to to do a whole other degree and for the experience of going through that too. Oh, and, yeah. and if people are in that position to do that and they feel like they can make those choices, all the power to you. But I think you're bringing up a really good point is it's not necessarily like this is the only way you can go about getting this kind of education. Part of it is talking to the people who potentially could be your graduate advisor who could make exceptions to the program when you pursue studies with them that you might not have to take some of those extra courses, which is more money in your pocket, right? So that's never a terrible thing. So I guess now that you have, you've kind of made it to the other side You are thriving in the work that you're doing. You exude incredible enthusiasm for the things that you do, which to me communicates that you're in the right field. Now that you're on this side of your pivot, do you wish that you had done anything differently prior to or after that pivot from engineering to biology? Um, so I wish I had done anything differently. It's actually something I haven't, I mean, I feel like everyone always wishes they had done something in their life differently um but I I don't know I I think it all kind of worked out I was kind of lucky that in that way I wish I had taken more programming classes early on um which seems like a silly wish but but yeah I don't know yeah that's totally okay (laughs) you don't have to um and it clearly if you aren't thinking about those things then things have kind of played out the way that they have and you've um, followed the flow of it all and it's led you to where you are now which yeah no it's definitely okay to not feel like you (laughs) have wanted to do something differently anyways I know you went from quite a male-dominated degree in engineering to maybe one that's less so in in biology I don't know a fish biomechanics I don't know the statistics for that but not luckily I was again lucky that it wasn't the worst ever I've heard of people who have had way worse experiences um but there there are the subtle things you know when you go to office hours to one of your faculty and they say something to you like I wouldn't have expected you to do well on this test anyway um it can get a little annoying yeah (laughs) Um, no kidding uh, the transition was great because I was very lucky to have a, a female mentor on the other side who kind of had gone through similar experiences because biomechanics also tends to be one of the more male-dominated sides of biology. So she had also experienced these things, even though she was a biology major, um, doing something that's more mathy and engineering people somehow think that women need to be given about it constantly. And also, since I still continue to work with engineers, um, roboticists, and computer scientists, I did I do experience mansplaining quite frequently, um, and have throughout graduate school. People feel like they need to tell me how programming works or how motors work. Or uh, I've been fortunate that there have been no active aggressions <laughs> against me, but there's a lot of small things that happen throughout your time that can get very frustrating. Yeah. And I think the way that I have pulled myself through all these frustrations is honestly to have uh, other female colleagues that I can vent to, because like the most therapeutic thing is to vent about it to other people, because it's an unfortunate thing in our, in our fields that is not, I don't see going away like rapidly. So if you have like strong female friends, collaborators, mentors to vent to, that is very critical. Um, I have found this to be necessary. Yeah. 
And I think another way to put that, it's not just venting. It really is finding solidarity and community in those ways with you being able to find female colleagues and, and others who have experienced something similar, you can share those stories with each other and help support each other and, and, and find solutions or, you know, a safe place to, to thrive in. We also need to think about ways in which we actually bring down these systems of uh, marginalization, right? And that they don't persist into the future. That's our goal and our wish <laughs> as an organization for sure. <laughs> yeah. I I do think it's, it's, better than it was absolutely um like you know think about not too long ago there were no women in these fields so um it is better but it's definitely something that's frustrating and it can be draining like it's that's something that's i think underplayed even though it's small comments it's a lot of small comments and it can be mentally exhausting and it can make Mm -hmm. you second guess yourself um like am I good at programming? Do I know how this machine works? So having folks to encourage you be like, yes, you absolutely do know how those things work. Like don't listen to them. That's, that's pretty important. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly for sure. Well, this kind of brings us to the last question here that I have, which is what advice would you give our listeners who tend to be junior high, high school, maybe even up to undergrad age range listening to this uh, podcast? What advice would you give them if they are in the midst of thinking about pivoting or transitioning or being like, oh, I don't know what decision to make. Hopefully later on, you know, I can have a clearer picture and maybe I can change down the road. What advice would you give them? I think the biggest piece of advice that I would give is to just talk to people. Um, I know it's kind of hard during COVID because we can't really go out and talk to people, but like shoot people emails, talk to as many people as you can, because if they're the type of person who you want to work with, they'll, they'll probably have time to shoot you a response. You're not going to know what's available and what types of careers are out there without asking people who are in those careers currently. Um, I found like chatting with as many people as possible to be incredibly important for my own like switch from biology or Mm -hmm. from engineering to biology. Um, Just knowing what's out there is super important. And if someone tells you, no, you can't do this change, you're not smart enough or whatever, then they're not the right person to talk to because you are smart enough and you can switch careers uh, Mm -hmm. whenever you want. So find someone else to talk to, I guess. Right. There's more folks out there. there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I want to note, you know, sometimes you talk to somebody and maybe they don't have an idea from their own experiences of how they can help kind of your trajectory, but maybe they know somebody who does. And so they can point you into the right direction. So this idea of networking is so important. I think it rang really uh, loud and clear from this episode is that making sure that you are talking to someone, talking to anyone who is willing to hear you out and see, hey, I want to be invested in your success. How can I help? Find those people to be in your court. And it sounds like you did. And thanks for that encouraging message to our uh, students. We really thank you just for taking that time. I know that you're a busy person and that you're mentoring a lot of people, but thank you so much for sharing your experience and your stories. Yeah, of course. Um, Thanks for having me. Uh, And Goodbye to everybody. And you can find me um, on the internet if you have any questions that I might be able to help with. If you're looking for someone to convince you that you could switch careers, feel free to shoot me a message. Do you want to just tell us what your the best way to reach you is? Twitter is probably the best bet. Um, my Twitter handle is quite simple. It's just CM Donatelli, uh, my first middle initial and last name. 
we'll include it in the description so you can uh, you'll know where to find Cassandra. All right. Yeah. Thanks so much. I hope that from Cassandra's story that you were able to learn something new that it helps to challenge the way you think, or it makes you start asking yourself some narrative shifting questions. Um, we'd love it if you could share this episode with one other person to help us expand our reach and make sure to stay in the know about the Wisest STEM podcast by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts from. If you'd like to be updated on the programs that Wisest offers, consider subscribing to our monthly e-newsletter or following us on social media. You can find all that information in the description. That's it for now. See you next time. 